I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there. This is Cecilia, content producer at the Webby Awards. Are you making great work on the internet? If so, I want to take this moment to remind you that the final entry deadline for the 27th Annual Webby Awards is coming up on Friday, December 16th. This year, we're expanding our categories across websites and mobile sites, video, advertising, media, and PR, apps, dApps, and software, social, podcasts, games, and new this year, metaverse, immersive, and virtual. Check out all of our categories and enter your best work by the final entry deadline at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Creativity is a renewable resource. Algorithms are made of people. When in doubt, just binge. Stop believing stupid people. Hey there, and welcome back. A real treat today. We welcome our special guest, Jasmine Lawson, who is a content executive at Netflix and an important voice shaping internet culture. Jasmine has pursued a career dedicated to amplifying and championing black stories made by black creatives. As a culture editor for Jiffy, she was behind the increase in black representation in the GIF database. In 2018, Jasmine joined Netflix's editorial team and was instrumental in the initiation of Strong Black Lead, a platform that curates content to represent the non-monolithic nature of the black experience. Starting off with the Halle Berry classic BAPS, she and the rest of the Strong Black Lead team made sure work made by and for the black community was given the space it deserves. And recently, Jasmine's broadened her horizon by taking her passion to Netflix's original series team, where she developed shows for the platform. We started off talking about her early career and time at Giphy. I mean, I think it's probably been a track that I've been on my entire life. Um, My mom, who I'm an only child, and my mom's a single parent, so we're very close. And I think she would describe me as someone who was very much an advocate from birth. Um, Hmm. I'm not really big on astrology, but I'm very into my own sign, which is Libra. And every time I read something about Libra, it's like we're very much about the arc towards justice and making sure there's fairness um, and being balanced. And from a very young age, I was just someone who was super vocal (laughs) about anything that I didn't feel was just or right or, you know, being heard. I think I was a very good kid, but the only time I ever got in trouble was because of how much I would talk, (laughs) whether in class, I think my report cards would always be straight A's, but the notes from the teachers would always say talks too much, a distraction. Um, And I've always had a hard time just being silent when I didn't feel like something was right. And I think being a Black girl, especially um, growing up in a small town in Michigan and going to predominantly white schools for the beginning of my career, um, I didn't necessarily always have language to describe some of the injustices that I felt, but um, I knew I had to say something. 
and would continuously, you know, speak up about things that tend to just not sit well with me. Um, I was also a kid who, growing up with a single parent, was also raised by the television, I would say. Um, mm. I always describe my childhood as someone who started her day watching Nick Jr. and ended up watching Nick at night. And it was a very vast breadth of content going from Blue's Clues to Dick Van Dyke. But that was like how I lived my life. Um, I think I'm still very sleepy to this day because I would stay up to like 2 a.m. watching Mary Tyler Moore or needing to know what happened on All in the Family. And these shows and the breadth of content that was on television um, was something that really intrigued me from a very young age. I always had an obsession with storytelling and TV in particular. Um, and I also grew up in a household that didn't have a lot of censorship. I think my mom just ran not necessarily a loose ship, but a very fair one per se, where a lot of friends or people I know who had a lot of censorship growing up or didn't get to watch television. That just wasn't the case with me. I had a lot of exposure to really great TV, very young. Um, and I think the mix of all of that together is what kind of brought my personal, you know, like of one wanting to work in pop culture and work in television. I think that was something that I knew from a very young age. And then I think the idea of, okay, if I'm in this space, whose voices get to be heard, who gets to be seen. Um, some of the most defining television shows for me in my adolescence were black shows, um, be it either Moesha or Sister Sister, That's So Raven. I think the first time I ever saw myself um, in terms of someone who looks like me would be someone like a Raven Simone. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be a part of creating that experience because it was such a positive experience for me growing up as a kid in the 90s. Um, I think in retrospect, there's been a lot written about Black television from that era. Um, and it was just very powerful. And I, I'm like, well, the day that I get to be in this position, I think that's what I want to do. So one thing that's unique among a lot of that background is it sounds like you had the confidence to voice your opinion about things being unfair. Like a lot of, a lot of younger people in that sort of situation might've seen things and thought things, but maybe didn't have the confidence um, to say anything about it. Where, where do you think that came from? I think it definitely came from my household. Like I think my mom was definitely someone who always encouraged me as much as she would probably be annoyed with her child always talking um, she never really silenced me in that way. Um, and we had tons of discussions. I think for me, even the way in which I interact with children, I don't have my own yet, but like I was very much spoken to with someone with respect in a mind. I wasn't talked to as like a child or put into a child's mm. place. It was very okay for me to have conversations about, you know, sexuality and queerness and your body and image. Um, from a very, very young age, I would probably describe my household a little bit more liberal for the times um, just in terms of how I grew up and so even once I got out of that space and I got to like college and like the first few years of my own it was very uh, alarming or awakening just to see you know a lot of kids get their independence for the first time where I felt like I had lived uh, you know, the first 17, 18 years of my life with a lot of independence and a lot of freedom to think I, I think college only pushed me even further to kind of, now you're in college and you're questioning your thinking <laughs> and you're asking those really uh, snooty educational questions around, you know, thought and the pedagogy and all of that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I think that's where it came from. Just being in a household that really encouraged to think as far as you can and to question things. You know, I've heard you speak before and just generally about your belief in the power of images. And um, it sounds like some of some of that belief or some of that realization came from watching shows that had characters that you saw yourself in. Is that right? Like, when did you really start to first appreciate how important you know, images and video was in, in, in media and the power that it has to, to make people feel certain ways. The first time I had language for it wasn't until I got to Spelman, where's where I went to school. And I think Spelman being a liberal arts college and being a school for built around black women in, in our education, so much of what went into our coursework was really looking at the ways in which Black women are represented in the media and really digesting them and having, you know, just a spectrum of conversation around it, whether that's from music videos to television to film, et cetera, uh, even our literature and how we read, you know, texts. And I think me being a child of the 90s and growing up in the early 2000s, the internet just became a whole new landscape of understanding our, our images and how we're consumed. Um, to me, I think that's a really much the basis of how we tend to interact with each other. I think I hear from so many people, and I think it's true for a lot of us, I, a lot of our friend groups and our family are people who are very similar to us. Um, and the way we really get to experience, you know, a lot of different cultures or people is through our media. A lot of times you get an insight into people who don't look like you or have your background or to understand just like their dynamics is through the consumption of, you know, stories of uh, other people. And so for me, yeah, I, I think images are important, but it's also important to necessarily have a, a diversity within that. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the conversations that I went to, I was in college from 09 to 2013. And I think in that particular moment, especially with, um, I think like the writer strikes were like around 07, 08. Um, and there was like a rise of reality television. And there was just such this heightened conversation around black women um, on shows like Basketball Wives or Real Housewives or Love and Hip Hop and just the ways in which we were being depicted. And I remember having so much of attention in those conversations just because I was someone who like enjoyed a majority of those shows. They were very entertaining. And I think the question that was always being pointed backwards wasn't necessarily that these are there's good and bad images and that you can put things in a binary box and that these images over here are just like the worst of the worst and mm. and then there's a there's a pristine image to work towards per se um but that we just need it more and i think that was the thing that coming out of school that i, I wanted to really get into is to make sure that whatever I'm going to create or be additive to that the spectrum of the ways in which people who might not necessarily have a ton of black girlfriends um, <laughs> can get a show or to consume television and see a vast majority of what our humanity looks like. And it's so interesting because especially I would think at that time, and I mean, still today, but like so much of that conversation is was supported by internet media, right? Because you know, of course, before we all talked about TV shows, but we talked about TV shows with a pretty limited amount of people, you know, we yeah. talked about with our family or maybe people we work with or, you know, you're not necessarily having these like really like thoughtful, robust discussions about like the way people are represented right. unless you're like a college or something like that. Right. Yes, exactly. 
But like these are discussions that now take place all the time on the internet because, you yeah. know, just because you have access to so much, so much more. Is that, is that like a big factor you think for you? Oh, for sure. I think I've always considered myself an early adopter when it came to the internet. And I think that's where I landed at the beginning of my career was working in social media. Um, I think in high school, I probably got on MySpace in like the 10th grade, transitioned to Facebook. I've had the Zingas. I had the Black Planet. Hmm. I've been on, I had dark Tumblr years. Um, you know, Twitter is obviously a medium that I still use very frequently and, you know, have conversations on there all the time. And I think that was just something to me, which actually sparked what I wanted to do primarily was seeing that the more and more television was expanding beyond just, you know, the four networks or even cable channels and streamers were starting to get into the business. I saw this correlation in the rise to your point around the conversation people were having about their media on the internet. And I'm like, this just seems like this is going to be a thing. And I want to be in the mix somehow in ways in which people promote their shows. Um, prime example is maybe my senior year of college is when Scandal started. And I just remember watching Scandal actually in real time and feeling like, is anybody watching this show? Like, I'm obsessed with this. Uh, Carrie Washington's phenomenal. This seems amazing. And I remember it was only like a seven episode order. Um, ABC didn't give Shonda Rhimes like a full season. It just seemed like, let's see where this goes. And in real time, I was seeing conversations about the show happening on my Twitter feed. I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who is watching this and enjoying it. And I do think it went hand in hand with the success of that show, seeing the buzz and seeing yeah. the conversation and realizing like, this is something to feed. And I mean, obviously we know the rest is history in terms of what Shonda has been able to create around her whole production slate um, and eventually partnering with us at Netflix. But to be in that in real time was a feat. I would say even my junior and senior year was the time that Issa started putting out Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. And it was a big thing on campus. Like, I think yeah. I was speaking to someone the other day and they were like, wow. So like, you guys were like in school watching. I was like, yeah, we would run to our dorm and try to watch the next episode of Awkward Black Girl. It was as if it was a show on television. It was that important to us as anything that you could pay your cable subscription for um we wanted to watch it and just seeing her rise and what she's been able to create in the media landscape i think the same thing goes to someone like a quinta brunson where like our familiarity to her with creating vines and videos on twitter and uh, um, other platforms and being the he got money girl and just seeing what she's been able to translate <laughs> that career into I think that to me, the internet and what we see on television today, especially just access to different types of creators um, and kind of disrupting this very traditional pipeline, because I think getting into TV has you know, been very much um, a structured way that a lot of people never, never even understood. Like, how do I even do that? How do I even make a career of that? The understanding of going to like work on a late night show or have to go work at SNL or have to go and, you know, write a bunch of like multi-cams and work your way up and try to get this and that isn't necessarily the structure anymore. There's a lot of disruption that can be made to get into this business. And I think so much of that is due to the internet and a lot of voices being able to just 
kind of not necessarily skip those steps, but create new steps, create a new pathway um, to being able to create entertainment. And you had such an interesting early career that had like a really, a really big impact. Um, you, I know you were the culture editor at, at Giphy for a while. And what's sort of fascinating to me is, is just as I hear you tell the story, right, is, is in the background that you're coming into your early career with and sort of the training and learning that you did in school is a lot of people with those sort of like who had that type of passion might have gone into like trying to write about it or you know, change it in certain type of ways. The change that you brought to it was in this like super pop culture type of thing that like just had like an immediate impact, right? You're like talking about why it should be this or should be that. A lot of what you were doing at Giphy was really making sure that sort of this idea that you're talking about earlier, that like gifts, gifts that were created and shared, like represented black people and black and black girls and black women. And that, that when you would search for something, you would find stuff that looked like you, right? And like, it's just, it's to me, I mean, I even remember at the time, but even just now it's like, it's such a, it's such a specific thing, but it has such a huge impact because of the overall like impact of Giphy, right? Like that could have just gone on like that for years without being changed. When I got to Giphy, I was hired as at the time called the tag editor. And my main job was to go through and make sure um, our library of gifts were tagged really well with great metadata so that people can find stuff so that if you know you wanted a gif of you know Seinfeld saying hello and you got Seinfeld you it's tagged Jerry Seinfeld it's tagged NBC it's tagged hello like anything that could be associated with this image um, it's tagged really well so that it was searchable and I remember one of my first jobs um, MTV delivered every season of the hills to Giphy to GIF. And I'm a big fan of The Hills. Uh, I'm excited it's on Netflix now. And, and Laguna Beach, I think it's just like, again, represents the era of like television that I came up with. And I, I love all the drama between Kristen Cavallari and Lauren Conrad. Like I could just I replay those images in my mind. But I think around my third day of cutting up like 500 more GIFs of <laughs> Lauren Conrad and Kristen I was like, I'm just adding more white images yeah. <laughs> into the lexicon. I was like, I don't think we need more than the most popular moments that people remembered, like the moments of Lauren Conrad crying with her and Heidi, you know, and in their friendship. Sure, I'm, we need that in the lexicon of pop culture. But every time someone on the show said a word, to me, just felt like it was taking up space for mm -hmm. other yeah. people to be seen. And that was probably what you know, encouraged me to kind of look into making sure we were expanding the images over there, especially when it came to representation of other groups. It's like, okay, sure, I want to be able to say hello to someone or share a roll in, uh, eye roll emoji or a little smirk or something flirty. And you want to share images that look like yourself, but like the same few people, as much as I love and adore Beyonce and Rihanna or Nicki Minaj, they can't be the only representations of black women that we see yeah. in these apps or just like the go-to. And so for me, it was like, let's get granular. Like I want to see people like Roxanne Gay and women like Janet Mock. And I want to get in there and Ava DuVernay and really expand, you know, the possibilities of what people can look like. And then also just cultural moments that I, to me, I feel like Black people in particular have had a certain relationship with the internet that not necessarily every group has had. We've kind of created a community on there that is really specific and special. And I know there's like certain 
moments just that happen all the time that we either live tweet together or share. I mean, you could say even over the pandemic, something like that was created like Versus and just how big um, that, that platform became from our community. Um, we tend to just have used the internet in really innovative ways, even like platforms like Clubhouse, I think in the beginning of the pandemic, really rolled on the waves of Black cultural conversation and moments. And I think for me, it was tapping into things like the BET Awards or Real Housewives of Atlanta or other cultural moments to make sure that as these big things that are happening on pop culture that are obviously being discussed or talked about had true representation on the internet. And I just, I think some of my proudest moments were just being able to gift those. I think one gift in particular was watching that we would have a relationship with like the Emmys and be able to gift in real time, either the red carpet or people's wins, et cetera. And I think um, one particular Emmys, this had to be like 2017, 2016-ish, is when Issa Rae was on the red carpet. And I think Variety was just asking her like, who are you rooting for tonight? And she says, I'm rooting for everybody black. And within less than 60 seconds, I had that moment yeah. on the internet. And I mean, I'm not to take credit for all of that, but like how often do people use her phrase in that lexicon and their everyday language? And it was just like, me having the insight to like, this is something that I think people will use out of context. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, often enough to add to our library, those were the probably the more re- the rewarding things to be able to add versus maybe 300 more gifts of the hills are laguna (laughs) it's such a great like metaphor for where not not that it's the only place but how where the work needs to be done and how important Mm -hmm. like the really granular deep work is especially on something like the internet where it's like everything is a everything is built on top of things like and it's not to say that it's not to say that like the stuff at the top doesn't need to be reshaped and rethought and that's not at all but just that like there's a real power like going in because that's you're real i mean that's like you know i think you'll look back probably and like you're like an internet warrior in that in that role you know that's like a that's just like an iconic you know role that you'll describe in like 30 or 40 years and it's like you were yeah you were sure. in in the in the middle of it you know only like just maybe within the past few weeks a few people have sent me gifts of myself um like is this you and i forget that like i have you know obviously probably the, the work perk was that there are countless of images of myself out there on the internet. And I, I kind of tend to have forgot how much of 
that was a big part of my life. And even now, just the ways I think that era in time, gifts in terms of communication was still fairly new and figuring out how you even talk in memes and can have a discussion with somebody with just images. And what does that look like? Where now it's kind of like a plug-in on almost every app yeah. that you have. You kind of take for granted that we were forming language for people in real time. And like any image that we added to the, our library or yeah, to our, our world um, was only expanding people's access to a certain level of language and how they could talk to each other, which to me yeah, is, is really exciting to have that sort of impact um, just in terms of how people translate and are able to communicate. So you, you, you eventually made the shift to Netflix. I think at the beginning you were on, uh, you know, the strong black lead initiative, um, you know, yes. which had a lot of different um, we've, we've talked about on the podcast before and had a lot of, you know, really important different sort of work streams and forms of work. Um, I know one thing that you were all really working on was making sure that some of those shows that you were talking about early on the beginning and when we started talking that some of those shows actually, you know, not necessarily the new ones only, but like some of those shows actually got onto Netflix too. So that like the, the historical archive of, of pop culture shows in the eighties and nineties, you know, was, was more representative, I think. And I think the first movie you guys brought on as part of that was, was, was BAPS, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And so why, why I always wondered why, and I think it's like, that's a, that's a great one to be first, but I always wonder why that one first, you know? Um, I don't think there was really a strategy other than like schedules and timing and Mm. minutia, like delivery dates. Um, (laughs) Nothing that was really too, but yeah, I think that was really exciting for me. I think the beauty of Netflix and still to this day is how, you know, much of a place in terms of our cult- our culture really when you use it to its best can create some of its best work in terms of like we don't really work in this very flat space and hierarchical space and you kind of just stay in your box they really encourage us to think and be as creative as possible um, and to really work cross-functionally and figure out how collectively as a group we can you know really make Netflix at its best and I think at that time we obviously a lot of our business is creating original series, but we still license um, projects from other networks and to, same with like our film library. And I just remember there were so many films that would do well for us, especially when we would talk about them on social that were licensed content. I think around the holidays, we had all three Fridays at once. Um, my my family, my grandpa in particular, huge fan of the Friday franchise and Ice Cube and everything that he created there. And I was like, this does well for us. Like this, this these, these, these are still things that our audience cares about just as much as our original series. How can I collaborate with this team to just figure out how we can be intentional about promoting these offerings on our service as well? Um, and I reached out to my colleague, Bradley Edwards, um, who worked on the licensing team at the time and just to learn more about their strategy how they buy like how do we work with the studios etc and we kind of just came up with this plan to just really be intentional about getting some movies that our audience you know crave for and ask for um i think i made a wish list 
of like just maybe like a hundred of like classic black films that I think people would love. And then we kind of just went out to see like where, where, what are actually available? What, what could we get on the service? Um, and Babs being one of them, which was amazing. I mean, I think Babs, I credit as like my favorite movie. I think uh, Robert Townsend and just like Ruth Carter and all of these like iconic people, Halle Berry, people that like are now really synonymous with like yeah. being Oscar award winners coming together to make this like low budget film about black girls from Atlanta, having this opportunity to make it in Hollywood. Um, it's probably a movie that I quote the most too. And I definitely remember like us sharing that and how much public joy it just gave our audience and our members to know that like on a platform like Netflix that they love that they could watch it over and over again. So many of these movies weren't even available on other streamers. You probably had to purchase them and we found a way to give them access to those movies so love and basketball uh uh love don't cost a thing beyonce's carmen a hip hopera which i'm like come on that's just such a cult uh <laughs> classic and specific movie and that was for me you know a real joy and i think that was also the catalyst to us being able to use as a success point to bring a uh, eventually the shows from UPN to the service a few years later. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it's also just like hugely symbolic, right? I mean, it, it just, it, it was a real statement. It maybe shouldn't have needed to be a real statement, but, but it was yeah. right. And that, that's a mean, that's a really meaningful thing just in terms of like what people yeah. talk about even. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think oftentimes like there are things and moments in pop culture that sem seem to get dismissed. And then I think when they get, the proper promotion or acknowledgement, people realize how huge um, of an impact those film and television shows have had on the rest. I mean, if you don't have BAPS in terms of a movie, like the rest of like the things that Robert Townsend was able to create and give to Black popular culture doesn't necessarily exist. You don't have BAPS, you don't have Halle Berry in one of her first leading roles to evidently see a launch pad for a really stellar career, the only Black woman to ever win the Academy Award um, for acting um, in uh, the the lead, lead actress role. Yeah. Um, you have Ruth Carter, who designed all of the costumes on that project, who eventually went on to win the Academy Award for the costumes on Black Panther. You have... Um, Kim, Kim Kimball, who did so much of the hair on that project and who eventually has done everybody in Black Lexicon's hair from Beyonce to Zendaya to every to even all of the hair on this last season of Euphoria. Like she's just a lexicon in, in that way. And it was just like those small movies that necessarily um, are now probably something that you would probably catch on linear cable every now and then it would be like a treat being able to bring it to a platform like Netflix where you can watch them over and over and enjoy them just like your favorite series um, was such a huge feat. And I think to me helps move, you know, the value of what we have to offer in a really great space, um, especially for an array of audiences. Yeah. And you've since, uh, I think, I think then you were working more on the marketing side at Netflix uh, as part of the strong black lead team. Um, you've since moved over to originals, right? Yes. Tell me, tell me a bit about that. And your, I mean, that sounds amazing, but tell me, tell me a bit about like how that happened and, and what your, what your remit is and what you're interested in there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so much of the work that I did working on Strong Black Lead and advocating for all of the shows that we had on our service, um, and whether it be a project like Dear White People or She's Gotta Have It, Dolomite, et cetera, we, I think within the last maybe you know, four or five years, Netflix has only just ramped up in terms of making sure that the quality of our content and the vast majority of what we have to offer an array of audiences just continues to grow. And that was really, you know, for me, I felt like the the biggest win is making sure that when people come to our service, there's something for everyone here. Um, And so the opportunity to make a switch from going from promoting that content and just letting people know, hey, we have this or engaging with audience members and having just to your point, the conversation around it, just so much to talk (laughs) about uh, on on the Internet to actually being way more in the forefront of like, what are we creating that eventually people will talk about has been such a powerful shift. Um, And I think I take all of the learnings from working in marketing and social and applying that um, to what we end up eventually putting on service. Uh, I work on the original series team specifically in our half hour space. So most of our com- our scripted narrative comedy shows. Um, and I've had the pleasure to really work with a lot of fresh new voices. Again, people who necessarily haven't always been um, given the opportunity to tell their stories. One in particular that I'm really excited about is Michelle Buteau. I'm working on her season one of her show, Survival of the Thickest, um, loosely inspired by her book of the same name. And Michelle is just such a dynamic piece of talent. We've been working with Michelle for a very long time at Netflix. She's been in tons of our movies. She's the voice of the circle, a host of tons of things, Um, her own stand-up special that she's had on our service, which has been great. And to me, especially, I think this is the first time that I'm working, literally working on the show. It's kind of probably the most freakishly experienced where I feel like the lead looks like my cousin. I'm like, <laughs> like why, why do we have too many similarities? Um, kind of freaks me out sometimes to even read the scripts and feel like this might be a documentary about my life. Um, but she's so funny and being able to represent, you know, black plus size women in a way that feels really celebratory and joyous. And for us to be able, again, coming to this idea of images, Jasmine, little kid Jasmine, high school Jasmine would have killed to have seen a show like the one that I'm working on and to see someone like Michelle Buteau on screen living a really fun, joyous life with her friends and just working through the ins and outs of, you know, everyday problems, whether they be career problems or relationship problems, but also having fun. Like, I don't know what that would have done for my self-esteem or just the possibilities of like what's out there had I had this show in in my era, but it's so exciting now that we get to create something like this and put someone like her on, you know, a service that not only is like accessible to me and you here in the States, but to 190 countries around the world for people to see someone. And on the flip side, I'm also working on a show with um, the rapper Vince Staples, which he's a voice that I've loved. And particularly I've loved him because I fell in love with his voice from the internet. I think if you follow Vince on Twitter, he is very funny. I don't think Vince, obviously, his background is in music, and most people know him professionally as an artist. But I think if you've known him and the the ways in which he's promoted himself on the internet or has used the internet as a tool to kind of share his voice, he is very witty and funny in the same way that so many of our comedic television writers are. 
Mm. Um, and so being able to like kind of give him the opportunity to write and craft a show and put his comedic chops and his wittiness to use in this platform has been amazing to kind of just see that he has the same talent and smarts as someone who probably went to U USC and then wrote on a whole bunch of shows and came up under this showrunner, blah, 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 in a really traditional way and give him an opportunity to kind of just expand on a talent that's clearly there um, has been amazing too. And I think that's been the beauty of Netflix as well and working on this side is you know, the ways in which we're able to platform voices and people who aren't here is really to cut around the ways in which how Hollywood typically has operated. We've kind of just been like, you know, we want great stories and from great people and to be able to craft good TV shows. Let's do what it takes to make that happen. I mean, and that's at the end of the day, that's really like that's the space for me where, you know, Netflix and, you know, now other streaming services, there's, there's more now than there used to be. It used to be Netflix, but that's the pioneering thing about Netflix really is that like some people can look at it and say like, Oh, it's just like TV, but it, it, you know, it, it doesn't have the same, like purposely intentionally does not have the same constraints as like what runs mm -hmm. on regular television. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to find that audience at a certain time and all these things that we know about, which have that all those constraints have historically made, you know, traditional television just sort of like monolithic and not mm -hmm. not not a place where people could see themselves represented or see different all that you know all those issues and that's that's really the, sure. the joy of netflix is it's like an opportunity to not have all that stuff and to really be able to make stuff that wouldn't have made it through those those older systems right no 100 percent. i mean and we think about it in a vast place like it's not like we're working to have one black show one latinx show one yeah. queer show it's like we want to develop overly develop in all of these areas because even within those communities like people are not monolithic there's so much vastness there in terms of representation to say that one particular right. show can represent a whole community is kind of even you know bonkers to think that, that could be the case where that used to be our media i think that's why we were so precious i think most marginalized communities are very precious about the images of themselves out there because there has been so few that you tend to like ride high and mighty on like the one movie or the one show the network might put out and the pressure on creators to serve everybody um was so unfair to say you such and such I didn't feel seen in your show or the way you messed up. And for us, it's like, we want to be so creator friendly that you come to our service and you're able to create the work you want to make and represent whoever you represent. And that for some people who aren't seen in your show, there's another creator who's going to create a show for them that right. we want enough yeah. on our service that everyone can feel, you know, that their story is being told. And I think we're just getting started. Like we get really excited um, like I work on Never Have I Ever. And I think it's been such a exciting show to see Mindy Kaling's voice in a young YA space. And for me, I'm like, I just want more stories here. Like I think Davey um, is probably the closest character to my similar high school experience. And I feel so seen in her, but I'm like, let's keep going in this space. At YA is such a fun area. And high school is such this like even medium that I think it, when you've aged out of it, um, it feels nostalgic to watch a high school show. And then when you're younger, you kind of like have this aspirations of what it will be like. And for me, that's a fun area to develop in and to play with of like what other person who has not yet been seen or been heard 
how can we use this trope or this 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 area or this genre to kind of tell those stories as well so one show i want to ask you about she was the webby uh, artist of the year this year uh, megan the stallion i know you have a show mm-hmm. i saw in the in the trays you all have a show in in the works with her what's what can you say about that i can't say much but i will say it has been fun working <laughs> with uh, megan and trying to figure out a way to you know collaborate with her she's such a fascinating person and her personal story and her journey is so fascinating as just as a creator and as an entertainer beyond just being a musician. Um, And I think so much of our exploratory conversations with her have really excited us on like what we possibly could develop um, just from all the stories that she has to share. I think she has a vast amount of interest as she's expressed online, be it either anime or horror. Uh, and I think in the comedy space is something that she really wants to figure that out as well, which is what I'm working with her with. And yeah, I think that's, to me, it's just, again, a non-traditional voice. Um, someone who obviously is not has not come up in a path of traditional TV writing, or uh, that's even like, Obviously, you know her from the hip hop rap industry, but we're like, she, there's something special about Megan. She's obviously a star and she has so much to say and so much to offer and stories to tell. I think even just being a young black girl from Houston excites us so much to be able to be regional in that way in our storytelling and who you get to hear from. Um, that That's kind of how we end up developing as well. It's like, okay, let's try to figure out something with the hottest girl on the planet. <laughs> Jasmine, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, we're, we're such course. huge fans. It's such a privilege and honor to get to chat with you for a little bit. You know, you had a huge impact on the internet at, at such a early and young part of your career so far. And I'm sure it's going to be, you know, we're excited to see more of what you do. I'm sure it's going to be awesome and, and very Webby worthy in the future. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. What a joy to have Jasmine on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Jasmine. She's a great follow as well on Twitter at JasmineBeKnowing and on Instagram at JasmineBeGramming. You can reach me on social at DMDLikes. Our editor is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our writer is Mahi Sugebo. Our producer is Cecilia Betzel. Music is Poddington Bear. CL Vanderveen is the Webby Managing Director. Claire Graves is our president. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.